So we thank you, Lord, for your word that has been read to us. We thank you that your word is true. It never changes. It is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Lord, we give you praise and we honor you. Thank you for your faithfulness and for your goodness to us. May your word today speak to us. May your word today find a place in our heart and find our hearts be like good soil, which when the seed falls into, it grows and brings forth fruit, not just fruit, but fruit that lasts. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning again, Broadway. For those who don't know you, me, my name is Sims. I'm one of the pastors here at Broadway. And with our senior pastor away on, on his sabbatical, I'm kind of like holding the fort here. And um, God has been good to us. And God has been good to Ryan. I spoke to him last week. He was back in town and has had a great time away and, um, and is at home with his kids. And sure, today they attended a service, most probably somewhere else, to avoid being at work. Praise the Lord. And I'm glad that he does that because then I don't have my boss sitting here listening and watching everything that I'm doing. I can be free as a dove. Hallelujah. <laughs> so um, we've been walking through First Corinthians together. First Corinthians 13, which was read today. And today I am hoping that I can finish this series. And the reason why is because I'm not going to be preaching for the next few weeks we're going to have guest speakers speaking for the next few weeks, so I want to try and finish this together so that next time when I come to speak, I may just actually move to the next one another. We have dwelt on love one another for a long time, for almost three weeks, and actually four weeks. This is week number four. And the love one another is the foundation of all the one another's. If there is no love, we've said that, there is nothing else. There is no be humble with one another. There is no be um, considerate of one another because love is the foundation of all that. So I hope to finish today. And in the last four weeks that we've been together, we've walked until verse four, I think. <laughs> and I'm trying to finish the rest of it today. So bear with me. Um, and I, with God's help, we can get through this. 1 Corinthians um, 13, as we say, it is a very good scripture which is used by a lot of people. But as well, it's used a lot without understanding of what it speaks of and of what it means. And we are walking through that to uncover together what that means and looks like. So in conjunction with um, Corinthians today, we're going to read from Romans chapter 12, verse 9, just one verse. Um, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. But what is evil, cling to what is good. And if you amplified, it says it this way. It says, love is to be sincere and active. The real thing without guile and hypocrisy. Hate what is evil. Distest all ungodliness. Do not tolerate wickedness. Hold on tight to what is good. 
And we are going to pick up from there as we discover what it means to love. What is love in action? We've spoken about love as the agape love of God and what that means. And we spoke about the different types of love. We've spoken about the body and how the gifts and everything come together. And love makes all that work well together. So we're going to go into the details now of what is this love. So the first thing we find there is that the Bible tells us that love is patient. Love is patient. The Greek word for that is makrutemio. Makrutemio meaning he it is patient. It means that it is of long spirit. It means it does not just lose heart. It means that it perseveres patiently and enduring misfortunes and troubles. It also means to be patient in bearing the offenses and injuries of others. So in, in a short sentence, love has a long fuse. Love takes time before fuming and bursting into flames. There are times where love bursts into flames, but it takes time because there is understanding, there is um, leaning in in that process. When a person who is wronged has the power to revenge and they decide to hold it back in fear of God and in fear of the Lord himself, that's what I'm talking about. And some people would look at it and think about it as being weak because you could really do this. You could really come back for them. But First Peter 2.23 tells us of Jesus. It says, when they howled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to God. This is the love that is patient. Jesus could have pointed out, pointed out that he could have called legions of angels when he was on the cross or the, when they were weeping him, but he didn't. He chose not to do that. All right, I'm going to try and move fast. Next one is love is kind. And the word for kind in Greek is Christomai. And Christomai, as we see it, it speaks of how to show oneself and mind to be kind and to use kindness and benevolence towards others. Being mild, being pleasant, it's the opposite of being harsh. It's the opposite of being sharp. It's the opposite of being bitter. Ephesians 4.32 in the Living Bible, it says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. We are called to be people who love and love in kindness. This is not weakness, as I've said before. It's easy to see it as weakness when you don't react, when you react with goodness towards those that ill-treat you. It might be seen in our world today, and it's spoken of in our world today as weakness, but this is not weakness. But also I want to point out, as I sit on kindness for a, little, for a few minutes, is that kindness is not niceness. We have mixed these two together. Being kind is not being nice. And I'll show you how. Kindness comes from confidence. And niceness comes from fear of either being judged or being seen a certain way by people. 
Kindness speaks of what is true with love and conviction. And a nice person speaks what is pleasant and avoids upsetting others. Niceness is self-motivated. Kindness is motivated by caring for somebody else. When we are nice, we are trying to protect ourselves from this, this person that we are being nice to, from them being harsh to us. But when we are kind to that person, we are protecting both us and that person. So we are leaning towards relationship. Caring for one another means being clear and direct. Even if what is being shared and being clear about is not necessarily comfortable or what the other person wants to hear. But it is done with the motivation of love. The moment it's done without love, it's harmful. It's not just hurtful, it is harmful. And remember last week I said, if something is harmful to the church, it is like putting your finger right in the airport of God's eye. And he will blink to protect it. So I'm asking us, as we learn what it means to be kind with one another, to realize that it comes with uncomfortability. It might come with things that are not pleasant, but it is done in the basis of loving one another and loving God. Therefore, it is, it is, it is medical in a way. It heals wounds. But when this is done without love, it is actually poking and infecting the wound. Kindness is not a random act. Kindness is a radical life. You make a decision to be kind. It doesn't just happen. Niceness can be pleasant, but the problem with it is it lacks conviction. Because if I'm nice, everything should be fine, so I will not wreckle the nest. And so I don't have conviction. I'm like that reed that is drawn to and fro by the wind. Niceness in a way is cosmetic. It's the outside. And kindness, although it might not always be pleasant, it goes deeper than the surface. A person of kindness fulfills God's expectations. A nice person fulfills other people's expectations. So I want us to remember kindness may not always be pleasant. And a person of kindness anticipates and prepares for conversations that are hard with other people. They prepare for it. They anticipate it and prepare for it and they ask the Lord, help me watch my heart first. Is my heart in the right place when I say this? Do I have a different motive when I so they prepare it's not just random it is something that they do with thinking with praying with being intentional that's kindness and so love is kind love is intentional and love in a way will address conflict directly and niceness might try to dodge it altogether we are people who know how to deal with conflict with one another. Matthew 18 gives us the pathway to deal with conflict with one another. 
The moment we are afraid to deal with conflict with one another in-house here, how are we able to do that out there? It starts in here. And that's the kindness that is in love. All right, let's move on. Love does not envy. The real test here in enviness is to check how it feels when somebody else has a blessing that you don't have. Envy here is checking how it is when somebody else succeeds in an area that you have not succeeded in. Or just when somebody else succeeds, how does that feel? Do you feel happy for them? Or does it sting? Jealousy is a very destructive emotion in the church and in any relationship. James 3 13 to 18 says, Who is wise and understanding amongst you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter and sorry, you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, you will do the boasting and you would lie against the truth. This wisdom, which is the bitter one that is envious, This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, and demonic. This is a tough word from Scripture. James 3, 13 to 18, read it at home. For for where envy and self-seeking exists, confusion of every type, of every evil, sorry, of every evil thing is there. But the wisdom that is from above is faith pure, then peaceful, gentle, are willing to yield, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I want you to mark verse verse 16. It says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So jealousy is bad for any relationship, especially in the church of Jesus Christ. So there are two types of envy. One of them is the normal envy we know, and the other one is a step further, which is deeper. And that makes me think this is why Paul calls it demonic, is the second one, which is really scary. Number one, envy is like, hmm, I don't like that they have that. I don't like that Betty has got that, that dress she's wearing. I wish it was mine, if I was a lady. Yeah. And I'm using Betty because I know she won't mind. I, I don't mind, you know, if, if yeah, if that, that dress would fit me better than it would fit Betty. That's envy. Oh, I wish I had that that she has, or I wish I had whatever that they have. That's the first kind of envy. The second one, which makes me think this is the reason why Paul calls jealousy and envy demonic, is because in number two kind of, is is one that says, I don't want bad stress. It would never fit me, it would not look good, but I don't want her to have it. I don't care for it for me, but I don't want it for them either. Steve, who was one of um, our missionaries in Poland for many, many years, said to me when we're talking about this at the elders' meeting, he said, that gives me a kind of like a thought of what we 
a joke that was around us in Poland, just amongst it was said by Polish people, that a man died, a Polish man died and went to hell, and there were different places where each country of people were in hell where. And each one of them, there was a soldier standing with the thing ready to shove the one who tries to come out of the fire. And he says, then they went on and like, where is the Polish one? Now the Polish one is far at the end. So they went through all these countries and like, oh, there's God's there that's shoving people. Then they got to Poland and they said, why are there no God's here? And he says, the Polish guy um, was telling the story. He says, well, there's no need for a God here. Because each time somebody tries to get up, the other Polish person pulls them down and says, where are you going? So that's the kind of envy that grudges the fact that somebody else might have something better than you. And that's the demonic type. And that's the type that is really hard. That's the deepest part of the human spirit meanness, of the fallenness of us as humans. It's a good illustration of Solomon and these two women that we know. We learn about this at kids' church. Most of us who have been at kids' church, we learn about Solomon making this wise decision between these two women. The, women, the woman who wanted the baby, whose baby had died, but wanted the other one as well to lose the baby. She's like, I don't care. Just cut the baby into two. If I don't have it, I don't care to have it, but let's not all not have it. That's the type of envy that he talks about. Let's move on. Love does not boast. Peperiomai, that's the word that is used in Greek here. And I'll use some of the Greek words to help us understand what it means. So it means, number one, self-display, employing rhetorical embellishments and extolling one's excessivity, like excessively telling how good you are. And it means as well to boast of oneself. A person who is loving is a person who does not seek a platform to show their compliments or to show their blessing or to show whatever they have. No matter how successful they are or how gifted they are, they don't always need to be the top or the person in the tongue and in the ear of everybody. They don't need to be in the front pending their accomplishments. That's a person who has love that does not boast. The people in Corinth, we know as we read 1 Corinthians and why it was written to them, there were people who were show-offs with their gifts. Because 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says it. And then he says to them, for who makes you different from anyone else? They had said, oh, I have this gift. I have that gift. I'm wonderful. I'm bigger than so-and-so. I'm better than so-and-so. So he responds in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. He says, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you have not received? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Whatever we have, we're given by God. And it's for his glory. It's not for us to boast. Be careful not to find yourself only happy when you are in the spotlight. And never unhappy when somebody else is in the spotlight. There's nothing bad about being in the spotlight and being celebrated 
but it's terrible when you're only happy when it's only you that is in that place. Or when you parade in the conversation that those kind of people would speak and speak about themselves to a point that when somebody else starts to be speaking about something different, they totally lose interest. Why? Because the most important, I, myself, and I, and me, is not being talked about anymore. Love is not proud. Phosio is the word that is used in Greek. It means to inflate, to blow up, like, you know, when you blow up a balloon, inflate it. It means to cause something to swell up. It means to puff up. It means to make proud. To be puffed up or to bear oneself loftily and be proud. Our culture teaches us, take the moment, seize the moment, show them, strut your stuff, show them how good you are. That's what our culture teaches us. Show them. It's about showing them. It's about everybody knowing in school for my high school students, show how cool you are. If you don't, no one else will. Take this moment. For those who are um, in work situations, show them how good you are. Show them. It's not bad to do your work and do it well and go an extra mile, but it's terrible when you make it a show off. I love the way the new, um, the old King James Version puts it. It uses the word, which I had never heard before. <laughs> it uses the word, vaunt yourself. Love does not vaunt itself. And so I think that's one of going to be my, one of my special things to say to my youth, that don't vaunt yourself, young man. Don't vaunt yourself. So we go out and we vaunt ourselves. We tell others. Others need to know what we have done. We are big. We are arrogant culture, uh, characters that are full of our own importance. And the Bible says that's not love. Arrogance, we know, has a big head. But love has a big heart. Love is consent to give itself, not asset itself. And we see that in Jesus. The next one, love is not rude. It does not behave itself indecently or in a shameful manner. We have been taught that we can behave whatever way we want because we are free. But love does not do that. Love considers others. Not only considers others in the church, but also considers others outside. The church at this point has been known to be people who are rude, who are ill-mannered. And we have never seen, we've, we've never seen a time like we see in our nation now where the church the first thing you ask for somebody who's outside, what does the church stand for? It's rude. And I've seen some believers that I'm like, I will not be caught dead being your friend because of the way that you misrepresent Jesus by your rudeness. Rudeness does not, being kind and being well-mannered does not mean we condone evil. It means we confront evil, but we do not forget that what we are confronting is that the same people are made in the image of God. 
We should not forget that the same people that we might be confronting things in are loved by God as we are. He loves us all the same way. Whether I'm a believer or not, he loves and longs for a relationship. So when we show manners in the way when we are not rude to people, we are showing the respect for God's image in those people. We're not showing respect for what they do or what they stand for, but we are showing respect for the image of God that is in each and every one of us. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Having your conduct honorable amongst Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be, sorry, they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God, in the, God of, in the day of visitation. So what does it tell us? That we should live lives in a way that when people even try to throw mud at us, they will not, it would not be able to stick because everybody would know it's a lie. We hear of the church during the time when Rome was burning, the height of persecution in the first century. We hear some of the writings that we, 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 we read that are from that time when they speak of Christians. Yes, they've got all these things that are bad to say that they're trying to smear them. But they come to a point on some of them have to agree. And they've said we have to agree that these people were different. These people were different in their kindness. They were different in their love. During the plague, when we were busy persecuting them, they were different in that they went into the homes of the same people. Who are, who are pointing fingers, who are throwing things at them, who are plagued with the plague and go and serve them, putting their lives at risk because they love. This is the love that he is talking about. Love is not self-seeking. Love does not pursue its own advantage. A person who lives for their own is usually quickly forgotten. There is no legacy in living for your own advantage. Who wants their tombstone to be written, oh, here lies Sims, who was arrogant and proud and lived for himself. I don't want that tombstone. Everybody wants their tombstone to say something about their life, how they impacted others. A life that is self-seeking is a life that will be forgotten. Ephesians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not only looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. There is nothing wrong with looking to your own interest. But it says, but not at the expense of looking for the interests of everybody else. True love, then, is always unselfish. It's easy to say it, but it's hard to leave it. Let's move on. Love is not easily angered. Paraskunio, which speaks of to make sharp to sharpen, to stimulate, to spur on, to urge, to irritate, to provoke, or to arouse to anger. Those are the words that I use to explain that word. 
paraskuno. And that's where um, parosism, the word that we use mostly in psychology and in counseling as a counselor, some of the words that I use, I speak to my colleagues, that's one of the words where it came from. And a person who's, um, ex- who's showing up signs of parasitism is somebody who has no control of their emotions. It is somebody who has a fi- fiery out- outburst of temper. They touch me and I will blow. Those type of people. And the Bible tells us that that is not love. There are people who are going to provoke us, knowing and unknowingly. There are people who are going to rob us the wrong way. That is why in the church we don't get to choose who becomes a part of our our church family. God puts people in places and some of them will rob us the wrong way. And what the scripture tells us, iron sharpens iron. And when iron sharpens iron, there is sparks. The problem here is sometimes we tend to blame those people for the impact that they have on us. Instead of looking in our hearts and why, why is Stacy rubbing me so, you know, roughly? Instead of asking myself why that is happening to me, why am I responding that way? What do I do? I blame Stacy. If Stacy wasn't around, I would not feel this way. If she didn't show up to the service today, I'll be smiling from ear to ear. If she didn't provoke me, it is her fault for just existing. It's her fault for living. We fail then to realize and to ask ourselves, what is it? What is, where is this irritability and touch being, being kind of like touchy? Where does it come from? Why am I experiencing this? What is in my heart that God needs to deal with? So instead of loving people with their faults, we tend to, f- to focus on how those faults annoy us. We are called to have a love that is not easily angered. And that means sometimes, picking up, not sometimes, all the time actually, Jesus says in Luke nine twenty three, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Love does not keep records of wrong. Logizmai. Love does not keep records of wrong. This means to recount, to count, to compute, to calculate, to count over. It means to take into account. It means to make an account of. That means create a ledger of. It means to reckon with all the reasons and to gather and fear and wait and weigh it and meditate on and deem and then judge. This is the word that most probably is very accounting. It's holding down. Love does not store up the wrongs that has been done to it in memory. Oh, in 1933, he said this to me, and I will hold it against them. That's not love. Love does not hold those things against. A person who holds grudges against others is a person who is neutralized in power as a believer. 
My previous senior pastor used to say it's like drinking poison, red poison, expecting the other person to die. Don't hold it. And those kind of people are difficult to be with. They have a list of things that happened to them that was said to them by so and so. Give that list to Jesus. He says, roll your cares to me because he cares for you. You don't need to keep the list. And I'm asking us, and I'm asking myself, the list that I have of things, I need to roll it to Jesus. He's not even asking you to carry it to him. He says, roll your cares to me, for I care for you. Love does not delight in evil. If you think about it in our news these days, when you hear the news, what, what's the ratio of great things and bad things? Which one is spoken more of? The great things? Let me hear you. The bad, horrible things that happen? Uh-huh. When we look at what sells, whether it's gossip, whether it's whatever, it's the bad things. And we need to realize that love does not delight in those things. But what does love delight in? Philippians 4.8, whatsoever things that are true, whatsoever things that are holy, whatsoever things that are of good report, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there is anything excellent or worthy of praise, think about such things. That is what love holds on to. One way in the church that we have messed up and delighted in evil mostly is gossip. When I gossip about somebody, I take delight in passing bad news. I'm delighting in evil because I'm delighting in passing bad news. And sometimes this is done in a pretense of prayer. Oh, we need to pray. We need to pray hard for Brother Brian. Mm, I saw him talking to that young lady. Mm-hmm. I know what they were talking about. Poor Shane. She didn't even know that her husband was talking to that young lady. You know, and those kind of things. And what are we doing? We're saying, oh, we should pray for Brian. Actually, the truth here is that we are gossiping about Brian. What does is, what is Matthew 18 say when I saw Brian doing that? I should go to Brian and say, hey, brother, I saw you talk to that, that young lady. There was a check in my heart. I don't know if it's the right thing. I might be wrong, but I want you to be careful when people see that, what the picture looks like. That's me talking to Brian because we have a relationship. But me going to my wife and saying, hey, Jen, we need to pray for Brian. I saw him. That's gossip. And if I really wanted my wife to pray for Brian, I would say, hey, Jen, just pray. Please pray for Brian this week. That's all. God knows why she's praying. She doesn't need to know the whole story. And sometimes even in our prayers, we pass this bad news and gossip about them. And we pray these long, elaborative prayers that tell the whole story of what happened. Doesn't need to. Love rejoices with the truth. I'll leave it there so that you don't stone me. <laughs> I'm being nice. Maybe I should be kind <laughs> and shove it even more. Love rejoices with the truth. And when love rejoices with the truth, it tells us love and truth cannot be separated. When speaking of, of the fivefold ministries in Ephesians 4, 15 through 16, 
Paul speaks of the authority of the fivefold ministries, and he says that in their authority, they are concerned and they need to do this. They need to speak the truth in love so that the body may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body is joined together and knitted together, every joint supplied according to the effective effective working by which every part shares and causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Love rejoices in the truth. When they tell the truth, they speak it in love. And why? Because they want the body to grow. Today, some of the truths, and last week I know, some of the truths that I said, some people came to me last week and said, some of the truths you said were really jabby. And yes, they are. But the Bible tells us we should be the salt of the world. And what does salt do to a wound? It feels painful and goes in, but it brings healing. Love rejoices when truth is exalted. Love embraces what is done right. Love always protects. Stego. That's what it is in Greek. It speaks of a deck or a place covered. Speaks of protection. It speaks of a, sec- uh, of a secret. It speaks of hiding. It speaks of concealing and concealing the errors and faults of others. It speaks of covering off um, things which, stre- which threaten. Sorry, it speaks of keeping off something which, threaten, which threatens to bear up against it or to hold out against it, but to endure and bear and forbear. It speaks about covering, and somebody will say, well, yeah, then that means we do cover all wrongs. We don't talk about them. We don't expose them. We don't deal with them. We don't confess them. That is not true. I'll show you quickly that that is not true. What does it mean? That love corrects, love exhorts, love rebukes, and love disciplines. Listen to First Peter 4, 7 and 8. It says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all, have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Love risks friendships to deal with truth but risks them in love. Love puts itself on line to bear another's burden. There's a book that I love by uh, Dr. Townsend and Cloud. Um, I think it's Changes That Heal. That's the right um, title for it. And they speak about grace, truth, and time. I've given this to my youth all the time. Grace, truth, and time, that those three always have to work together. That we are gracious, meaning we're not going to stand on here and blot out Frank Degler's sins, but we are going to cover him as he repents and protect his heart and protect him from the enemy. That's what love does. Covers a multitude of sins that it doesn't show the nakedness of somebody else to the world. Especially your brother in the Lord. 
it's not about covering sins, but it's all about being in a place of exposing sin, but also protecting the repentant sinner. Don't make the repentant sinner be afraid to repent next time something happens because you're going to show it off to the whole world. How protective are we as BCC, as a place of love? How protective am I as a lover? Do I care enough to protect somebody? Love always trusts. That means love is always eager to believe the best. In our world today, we've got a lot of places where we can be, we can be filled with cynicism and suspicion of everybody. And love does not do that. We need to believe the motive of our brothers and sisters as much as we want them to believe our motive. It's not all the time that, that my brother or sister's motive is as evil as my motive is usually is. That's how we should look at it. I believe, I choose to believe that Frank's motive is way better than mine. That is what Paul speaks of when he says, think of others highly than you would of yourself. So when Frank comes to me, I don't, I don't jump into suspicion and cynicism, but I receive him with humility because I, I give him the benefit of doubt as my brother, that he loves me. And so what he's coming to talk to me about is out of a heart of love. Love always hopes. This is not just a vague motion of being optimistic about things. This is a love that refuses to have failure to be the final thing. This is a love that refuses to give up. This is the love that Jesus used on Peter. After Peter had disowned him and said, I don't know him, we know that Jesus then says to Mary, go and tell my brothers and Peter to meet me. And when Peter meets him, he says, Peter, Peter, do you love me? The moment that we saw the other week when the youth was doing a play here, Peter, Peter, do you love me? And that's the point we know is a point of repentance for Peter. But Jesus in that time is showing us the exact meaning of that love will not give up on people. Do not put a final stamp on people. Pursue them for Jesus. Whether you pursue them by praying for them, whether you pursue them by treating them with godly love, whether they are believers or not, love does not write off people. It always hopes that better things would come. The story of the prodigal son is an example. Galatians 6, 1 through 5 speaks of how we, believe, how we live in the church. And one of the verses says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch of yourself, lest you attempted to. James 5.19 says, Brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth someone, and someone turns them back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Love will always be a place of hope. Your name is in the, in the Bible, Hopelicious. 
Love always preserves. Hupumeo is the name for that. It endures, it bears bravely, it is calm in ill treatments, it remains, it abides, um, it does not recede or flee. It is a fortitude, it is courage, it is resilient. That's love. Love does not go just because of the flaw of emotions. We spoke about that last time. It is fueled by commitment and fueled by the power of the Spirit of Jesus in us. Therefore, love can persevere and praise after. Lastly, but not least, love never fails. All giftedness will come to an end. The gifts that we pump ourselves and vaunt ourselves over will come to an end. That's what it says there. So love is permanent, absolutely permanent. Love is completeness, absolute completeness. And love is supreme, absolute supremacy. That's love. First Corinthians 13, 13, as we end, it says, the worship team can come forward. First Corinthians 13, 13 says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of this is love. As we think about this, as we close this, I want you to think about this. Spiritual gifts are not a sign of Christian maturity. I might speak in tongues until I roll on the floor here. It doesn't mean I'm mature. I might prophesy until I'm blue in the face. Doesn't mean I'm mature. All this big, I might preach like I'm doing today. Doesn't mean I'm mature. Maturity is seen in the way we live with one another. In the way we love one another the way Jesus loved us. That is the image of the sun. When the image of the sun has come on us, and people can see us. When they see us, they see the face of Jesus. When they, see, when they have conversation with us, they taste the taste of Jesus, of how Jesus is like. Then we are mature. And that is how we are all to love. Love in a way that Jesus shines through you. Love in a way that you represent Christ well. That even unbelievers will have nothing to say about you. They can think of things to say, but nothing will stick. Because you love like Jesus loved. And that, I pray that it starts here in the house. Then we may be able to do it outside and practice it well. God bless you.